Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. On this episode, uh, it's all about education, politics, and policy here in Arizona. Education has long been one of the top issues here in the state, uh, consistently polling. It's one of the things voters care about the most. There have been some major policy fights here over the past few years over school vouchers and over funding, school funding and, and teacher pay. Education is now a part of the national conversation. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Glenn Youngkin, a Republican, pulled off an upset victory in Virginia. A defining issue in a race, uh, the defining issue in the race was parental control in education and also a backlash against uh, the, the COVID school closures and against a racialized curriculum in the schools. And this has people wondering if Republicans might be able to replicate the Yunkin game plan in other states in 2022. Here in Arizona, uh, education uh, is the issue that Democrats run on, probably similar to other states, uh, and they seem to have an have had an advantage here uh, on that issue in the state. Kathy Hoffman, a Democrat, won uh, the race for superintendent of public schools in 2018. The Invest in Education Ballot Initiative, which is a tax hike on, on the wealthy uh, to fund education, it won, in, it won in 2020, although a lawsuit uh, is, has successfully, kind of successfully gotten rid of it. Um, but we'll talk about that um, probably a little bit later as well. First question, um, what do you think about what the landscape looks like here in Arizona? Do you think Arizona Republicans will be able to go on the offense on the education issue? And if so, what do you think that would look like here? I think the best that Republicans can hope for is to reduce the advantage uh, that Democrats in the state um, usually enjoy, and I suspect will continue to enjoy um, on the issue here. Uh, in Arizona, the most salient uh, issue is the adequacy of funding for the K-12 system, and Democrats are in favor of spending more, and uh, Republicans have spent more, um, but uh, tend not to translate that into effective um, rhetoric uh, on the campaign trail or in the public discussion. Uh, we also have already in Arizona a robust system of school choice. Um, so there are escape routes um, for uh, parents who aren't satisfied uh, with uh, or don't like what's happening in uh, their district schools. Uh, they can go to district schools in other districts, or they can go to charter schools. And we have even a fairly robust system of um, scholarships for uh, private schools. So I don't know that you would have the same pent up uh, uh, irritation uh, that propelled um, Youngkin in, in part to victory in Virginia. And I don't think uh, any uh, Democratic candidate is going to be as tone deaf on the subject as McAuliffe proved to be uh, in uh, Virginia. Uh, and uh, if the referendum on 
the legislature's income tax cut is on the ballot, uh, then that will give more saliency to the issue of the adequacy of funding, uh, on which I think uh, Democrats hold the upper hand and Republicans do a poor job of explaining their track record, which is actually pretty good. Yeah, I want to talk about the the possible referendum um, in, in, in just a little bit, but I want to stay here on the topic of this uh, of the strategies that it might use, even though you think that this that the Yunkin strategy would not be as effective given <clears throat> that we have robust robust school choice here. Don't you do you think that candidates are still going to try to campaign on that issue? I mean, I feel like I feel like uh, well, you've had the, some issues we've had here. This drama in the in the school boards uh, in the school board meetings uh, with with parents showing up expressing frustrations mostly over the COVID issue, but also um, uh, like COVID restrictions and masks, uh, and quarantines. But also um, there have been um, protests over over the type of curriculum that's in the schools. But th- but then you have you know, like this example in in Scottsdale where a where a, um, a superintendent was overstepping by creating a, a dossier that's still being investigated. What exactly the super, uh, or the board president rather was uh, was sort of collecting on on parents. Uh, and then I also saw just today we're recording this on on Monday the November fifteenth. But there was a there was an op ed. Um, in, in AZ Central, talking about this, the, the, the curriculum issue headline, critical race theory wasn't the only reason we pulled our daughter from her school. I mean, that kind of, that kind of goes to your point of, well, they're just going to a different school. But do you think, do you think that the issue will still be uh, front and center in the campaign um, from Republican candidates? Absolutely. And, and it is a central part of the um, discussion uh, within the um, Republican primary for governor um, and the superintendent's race. So there's no question that that Republicans will try to make that argument. Uh, and it will resonate to a certain extent. As I said, I think there's a realistic opportunity to reduce the advantage that Democrats have. But as you mentioned from that op-ed, um, unlike in Virginia, where parents were trapped in their district schools because there's very few charters and, and there isn't inter-district transfer possibilities uh, as freely as you're able to do it here. And if you look at the Scottsdale situation, there are lots of high-performing uh, charter schools um, within the district boundaries, boundaries of um, the Scottsdale uh, district. Um, so I just, I don't think it's going to resonate and, and Yunkin had a, an agenda. He was going to, uh, add 20 charter schools. Um, well, shoot, we probably had 20 <laughs> charter schools a year. I mean, we've got nearly, yeah. nearly a fifth of our students enrolled in charter <clears throat> schools, uh, and the attempts to expand school choice in Arizona haven't fared that well, uh, on, um, uh, among the electorate. Now, I, I think that's in part because it's been uh, poorly handled uh, from the advocate standpoint. 
Um, but I mean, what's the new agenda? What, what, what's the remedy? Well, you, right. you'll say we want to outlaw uh, critical race theory or woke ideology being taught in the classroom by the legislature. Um, but, but then where do you go? So uh, yeah. un unless you're going to uh, go big uh, in terms of completely revamping the school finance formula, and I'm not sure any of the current candidates have the wit to um, go beyond just mouthing generalized rhetoric about that. Um, I don't know where you go in terms of an agenda. So I just, g given the fact that there are ample escape routes um, for uh, Arizona parents that are dissatisfied with their current school, uh, I just don't see it being as decisive as it was in Virginia, although I do see it um, allowing a, another topic other than we want to spend more on education than you do, which will be the Democratic line. It does give Republicans something to say uh, other than, well, we want to spend a lot, just not as much as you, which hasn't proven to be a winning formula on the, on the issue. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. And, and yeah, I'm curious of how the, how the, how the Republicans are going to campaign. It seems like they're, they're still in this, in the same sort of the same spirit. But the other thing I, I noticed about, or I, I just, a, just thought about Yunkin is that he was, he was moderate in his temperament. You know what I'm saying? Yes, like very, he wasn't. Yes. And, and if you look at the candidates and the activists here, um, they're very extreme. I mean, even, you know, the, the parent thing, we have that, we've had that here for years, uh, purple for parents, um, sprouted up as a backlash, uh, against, you know, when the red Fred, uh, group launched a strike, you know, after the, the pay, the pay proposal. And that's, that was what birthed the, uh, or that's where the purple for parents sort of, uh, organized, and they're very extreme, you know, in their in their rhetoric and and very profane on on social media. Um, and I think a lot of the a lot of the um, candidates that are that are trying to win primaries right now are in that same sort of angry um, rhetoric, confrontational, grievance uh, based rhetoric. Whereas Yunkin, you know, he was. Um, you know, he almost seemed like he had the, you know, the higher moral stand, you know, ground on 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 a lot of these issues, and it seems like the that Republicans are not going to have that, um, it, you know, assuming that they continue on their sort of just their just the tone that I'm seeing right now in their in their campaigns. Well, and, and they will be saying things in the primary. I, I think you're absolutely right, and it's a pro profoundly important um, point. Uh, your tone matters a lot in the ability to get suburban swing voters to accept a very strongly socially conservative uh, political figure. Um, and uh, all the Republicans are running in, in the Trump primary as uh, Trump imitators. Uh, and even, <laughs> even if they want to try to switch for the general election, I can guarantee you that the Democrats are collecting soundbite sound after soundbite after yeah, soundbite yeah. to uh, recirculate um, during the general election, where the challenge will be 
to attract what I have called uh, the Ducey Cinema voters. There were right. roughly 225,000 uh, voters in 2018 who voted for Republican du Doug Ducey for governor and Democrat uh, Kirsten Cinema for U.S. Senate. Those are yeah. the people who now decide elections in Arizona. And uh, tone is going to matter a lot in terms of whether the Republican platform is acceptable to those um, voters and therefore whether the candidate is. Let's shift, uh, let's shift a little bit to zero in on that, on that school funding issue. You just recently wrote an article um, making an argument that you've made before, basically active, uh, advocating for, um, for funding students, right? Instead of, instead of the current complicated system that we have now with, with bonds and overrides and all the different, all the different buckets. Um, but it, it seems like it, you know, it hasn't gotten done and you write in this piece about how complicated it is and how much effort needs to do to actually hammer out the details. Do you think that it's, that the politics is shifting on this on this issue. Do you think, like politically, there's an opportunity to get it done? I know there's. I think that even that word, backpack funding or or funding students over systems, it's it's a it's a extremely. It comes across as like a the rallying cry for the for the conservative side of this issue. What's what's the opposition going to say to that? And and what is it? Is there any way to get? it passed on maybe even a bipartisan basis. I believe that the principle uh, that the same amount of money should be behind every student, irrespective of what school that student chooses to attend uh, is very difficult to argue against. And I think instinctively um, most voters would say, yeah, that's, that's what makes sense. Um, actually crafting a system um, is uh, extremely complicated, particularly crafting the transition from the system we currently have to that system. The key to its political viability um, will be to add enough additional funding uh, that there are few, uh, if any, loser schools. Uh, if you were to take just what we're currently spending, create an average, and then put that behind every student, it would result in lots of schools uh, receiving less money and in some cases significantly less money than they are receiving today. Uh, and I think you need to minimize the loser schools and if possible, eliminate them. So everybody is getting more money. It's just that some schools that currently are at the low end of per pupil funding get more additional money than those who are at the higher end, but you try to minimize the losers. I think that has a chance to achieve bipartisan support, um, but uh, it would cost lots and lots of money, hundreds of millions, um, perhaps uh, a half a billion to a billion. And so you got to figure out how to come up with that money uh, as well. State revenues are still um, coming in very, very strongly. Um, but my main point of the column is we've talked about this from the standpoint of those who believe in the school choice and competition model. 
every politician running on the Republican ticket, Mao's support for backpack funding. Um, uh, but until someone tackles these hard details, uh, it's just a concept. And in order to move it forward, you need to move from concept to resolving some of these details or coming up with at least a proposal that does. And in my judgment, to make it politically pal palatable, it's going to have to include significant increases uh, in overall K-12 funding. We'll see if anyone makes the bold move to, to go in that direction. Um, there's one other uh, political issue related to school funding, and that's the um, <clears throat> invest in ed, I guess, downfall. That's, is that, where, what's the status on the invest in ed thing? I mean, it got, the, the court said that it can't get, uh, give us real quick, what's the stat? I know they got, the, the court said, the Supreme Court like made a halfway decision down to the, down to the lower courts that will most likely kill it. But where, did, where is it? Where is the status on that right now? This well, the, is the, this is the tax hike. Yeah, this, um, this on is the rich. This is the tax hike from a top rate of 4.5% to 8% with the monies dedicated to education. Uh, there was a pre existing um, state constitutional limit on overall K 12 spending from state and local sources. Uh, which, when you add the money uh, from Prop 208, um, everyone expects that that limit would be exceeded. So the state Supreme Court um, said that if the limit is exceeded, then the proposition violates the Constitution uh, because it raises money that can't be spent. I happen to think the court was wrong on that point, and that wasn't the right decision, but that's the decision that they made. And then they remanded the case back to the district court le level to make the factual determination of whether the monies that Prop 208 would raise would indeed uh, exceed what is permitted uh, under the aggregate spending limit that already exists in the state constitution. Everyone believes that the answer to that question is going to be yes. Uh, which means that the district court judge will have no choice but to throw out uh, Prop 208 in its entirety based upon the rules that the state's Supreme Court adopted and imposed on the district court judge. So while it's in, it's it's been remanded to the trial court level, and there hasn't been a trial court decision, everyone anticipates that the judge will have no choice but to say it, it exceeds the aggregate limit. Prop 208 is invalidated in its entirety. Yeah, that's in, that's it. When I remember when this decision happened, I just couldn't believe that because they knew about this issue beforehand. Right. I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like every time the Supreme court makes a, makes a decision, if, if people don't like it, I think we've already talked about this before, but if the Supreme court makes a decision, you don't like they're, they're, they're rigged and it's biased. Um, and it's not our fault. But then if the, if the, if the Supreme court makes a decision that you like, it's like your fault. <laughs> well, well, there, but, there is prop 208. Um, was a statutory measure. And within the statutory measure, it said these monies don't count against that 
constitutional state spending limit. The court correctly said, well, no, a statute can't override a constitutional provision. Uh, so uh, the uh, monies that are raised by Prop 208 are subject to the aggregate expenditure limit. The backup that um, the proponents were counting on, they, they knew that was a constitutional vulnerability, but the backup that they were counting on is that um, the legislature can uh, vote uh, to exceed the limit. And the legislature is going to have to vote to exceed the limit uh, in order to spend the money from the extension of the education sales tax that the legislature itself enacted. Uh, um, and, and so that issue is going to have to be addressed anyway. And in my judgment, it's not per se unconstitutional to raise money that you can't immediately spend. Um, there's nothing in the Constitution that says that. So I think the court was right in saying, yes, you are subject to the limit. I think the court was wrong in saying, therefore, your ballot proposition is invalid, uh, as opposed to letting the money collect and having the argument at the legislature as to what should be done about it. Twice voters have been asked to increase the aggregate expenditure limit on K-12 schools and have agreed to do so. Um, mm. So it's not as though this limit's never been bumped up against in the past. And the legislature is going to have to address it next session anyway. So, yeah. uh, but in terms of the legal question, it's settled. The court um, held that if it exceeded the limit, it's invalid in its entirety. And uh, the district court judge will have no choice in the matter. So last topic is another issue that may go before voters. Um, so the, the, the last legislative session, uh, the, the Republican majority, partly because of the Invest in Ed uh, initiative, passed a tax cut um, across the board that's kind of like a flat tax, um, but it, it, it cut taxes uh, for, for high earners and set a set a lower rate but that would that that tax cut is probably going before voters um uh, the group that was launching invest in ed collected enough signatures so there's going to be a most likely a referendum i'm not sure if it's gone through the final process but they did have enough uh signatures on this one so we're probably going to get a ballot um, referendum that all voters in arizona are going to vote for to either ex either accept or reject this tax cut. What is that campaign uh, going to look like, and how do you think that might affect the uh, 2020 races here in Arizona? We are in a really, really weird place when it comes to tax policy in Arizona. Uh, so in 2020, voters were asked whether they wanted to increase the top rate from 4.5% to 8%. And voters said yes. The Supreme Court now has put in place um, uh, legal mechanisms which will result in that being invalidated, which puts us back to 4.5% as the maximum rate. The legislature only wanted to offset um, Prop uh, 208's surcharge. They, they really weren't intending to enact a big tax cut. Uh, 
Um, so uh, they created a uh, phased in flat tax of 2.5% uh, and then capped what anyone would have to pay in the surcharge. But the end result was intended to be to restore the 4.5% top rate. But now that it is all but certain <laughs> that the court is going to get rid of the surcharge, what leaving what the legislature did in place does result in a huge tax cut, um, <laughs> particularly for upper income individuals when the intent was only to restore the status quo ante at 4.5%. Instead, the top rate will be 2.5% with no surcharge uh, to add to that. So uh, from, from in 2020, voters being asked whether you want to move the top rate from 45 to 8%, in 2022, they're going to be asked whether they want to move the top rate from 4.5% to 2.5%. So I have no idea what that debate's gonna, gonna be. Like. But on the but on the ballot, it would be it would be no, right? A, it would a, be no, no a no to a no vote to would, raise the taxes. Yeah, a no to, vote would okay. would increase would restore the four point five percent rate that existed before Invest in Ed circulated its petition. So basically, you'd be like, do you want a tax cut? Do you want this tax cut? Yes or no. Yeah. Right. That's going to be the main, even though it was the heart of the issue, (laughs) even though the legislature actually didn't intend to enact a big tax cut. But doesn't that, doesn't that put Democrats in position to be straight up campaigning for, yes, we want to raise your raise taxes or like, no, we don't want a tax cut. Uh, Isn't that different? Isn't, isn't the framing of it, you know, just the framing of it. Isn't that, doesn't that change the, you know, the, the politics of it and the can and the, how the campaign is going to be run compared to, the previous one? Well, my, my guess is, uh, irrespective of whether it's smart politics or not, um, uh, Democrats and, and the opponents of the tax cut uh, will uh, depict it as a bad faith effort by Republicans in the legislature. Voters voted to increase taxes for education. Republicans in the legislature ignored the voters, undermined their intent, and enacted this big Uh, tax cut. Whether we will get down to debating uh, whether a 2.5 or a 4.5 top rate is the right answer and whether a flat tax or a progressive income tax is better, I I have my my doubts, even though that's the debate um, we should have. And, And I don't even know how much of a campaign since since the big tax cut was unintended this wasn't <laughs> the republicans were just trying to restore the 4.5 percent top rate so oh I, so they might not even spend that much money well, well, that's, trying to yeah that's what i'm wondering whether to, there'll be to a, win yeah whether there'll be a big campaign to to preserve an unintended big tax cut i <laughs> i don't know this is as I said, we're in a really, really weird place in terms of tax policy yeah. in, a, in, in Arizona. Well, let's, let's leave it there. We'll see, we'll see how all these things uh, develop. The only sports issue I have to bring up is a, is a complaint against YouTube TV for not, or maybe <laughs> Bally Sports, I don't know. Um, I'm a YouTube TV user, and they're not playing the Suns game, so... 
any of our listeners have any clout in in uh, Valley Sports or YouTube TV, want to try to get the Suns games. But Suns are doing doing really well. I think they're on a knock on what eight eight game winning streak. I think they might be playing right now. But anyways. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. You can find us on um, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you.